Well, hey everybody, Jonathan Doyle with you once again. Welcome back to the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. So if you wake up Christmas morning and you're looking to see what's under the tree, well, there'll be a podcast at least under your tree this year because I will be putting stuff out pretty much every day. I just enjoy it. It's uh, easy to be organized and get it all done. And uh, you just never know who's going to be listening and when a particular idea or concept may crop up for people. So welcome aboard. I hope uh, I can bring you something useful today. Today is in fact the feast of uh, both St. John Fisher and uh, St. Thomas More. I had the privilege of uh, visiting the the uh, the grave of St. John Fisher. I could get this wrong, so all my British listeners, you could tell me I've completely confused myself, but I'm pretty sure it was at the um, at the Westminster Cathedral, the Catholic uh, Cathedral of Westminster, uh, a few years ago. I had a uh, speaking tour over there and got to visit uh, that uh, very special special cathedral and uh, the tomb of St. John Fisher and, of course, uh, St. Thomas More. St. Thomas More... One of my absolute favourites, if you've ever seen my NCEA keynote, I, I talk about the uh, the beautiful film A Man for All Seasons, which describes the life of St Thomas More. So if you haven't seen that incredible film, I know many of you have, but it really is very much worth your time. It's a very special film that explores the life of this great Catholic saint and martyr who kind of, in many ways, encapsulates so much of what's... Um, What's the right word here? There's so much of what's admirable about our faith. He was a person of great intellect and used that great intellect for administration and leadership. Uh, it was a an intellect imbued by the light of the Holy Spirit. And then he's, of course, really famous for being the icon of somebody who refused to compromise the truth in the face of of initially, I guess you would say that he was offered all sorts of expedient ways out of his predicament with uh, Henry VIII. He was offered uh, plenty of chances to take an easy way out, but uh, refused to compromise what he knew to be true and paid with his life. So he's a great example for us of um, those moments in time, those moments in life, those moments in our career where we need to choose truth over any sorts of easy options, which is going to lead into the topic for today. Before I do that, as always, please make sure you've subscribed. Um, going to be this will be going across to YouTube as well. But um, so whether you're hearing the audio version here or you're on YouTube today, please make sure you've subscribed. Leave a review, put something in the comments, and of course, go and check out all those show notes because in the show notes you're going to find uh, links in terms of how you can book me to come and speak. You can get free access to the Going Deeper program, 10 weeks of free access, free Catholic teacher formation there. So go grab that. Uh, that's in the show notes. So friends, let's jump in. Today, I'm going to respond to an interesting listener viewer question that kind of ties in with the whole St. Thomas More thing. I got an interesting email from a teacher in uh, North America who is trying, who's been promoted recently and is very passionate about some really great aspects of our faith in terms of uh, sharing the faith with young people, things like theology of the body, and just bringing, I guess, the fullness of the faith and really being excited and passionate about sharing that because uh, if we're not feeling that, then we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing? If we're not, you know, what the church documents refer to as convinced and coherent Catholic educators. I always loved that phrase, convinced 
and coherent. We need to be convinced about our faith and coherent in how we, uh, I guess, uh, share it and how we live it and how we model it in front of our students, colleagues and parents in our school communities. So the particular question related to kind of the tension this teacher was feeling, I guess, in terms of they were excited and passionate, they were committed to sharing the faith fully in their new role, but they were worried about being seen as too hardline. I think we can all understand that sort of tension there, can't we? That sense of we love our faith, we live our faith, we practice our faith, we want to share that faith with our colleagues, we want to present the fullness of it, but then at the same time we're concerned about being seen as hardline or too full-on or you fill in the blank, right? Any number of permutations from being seen as being... Uh, you know, retrograde right-wing fundamentalist who's um, going to indoctrinate young people with the faith and much too hardline. And so, of course, we're all familiar, I think, with that criticism. And uh, let me pray for the grace to discuss this with wisdom and sensitivity, because I get it. I get the idea that definitely there's, there's ways that we could go too far, and there's people who no doubt have gone too far, And I think we've all encountered, um, I guess, people of faith who are rigidly dogmatic and there is a lack of joy and kindness and uh, I think a lack of sensitivity to the realities of our fallen post-lapsarian existence. Like, life's hard, right? Like, you know, there's great beauty and joy in the world, but there's also genuine complexity and difficulty and suffering and hardship. So... We, of course, want to bring the faith and the person of Jesus to those realities in a sensitive way. But I think what this question is getting at is this, I guess, this reactive thing that can happen where we're automatically accused of being hardline, you know, hardline Catholics. And and I guess it's a pejorative, right? It's used as a pejorative. It's used as a kind of scorched earth weapon to end all debates in a in a faculty staff room, isn't it? It's kind of like we're just going to end this now by, you know, and it's a moment in history, isn't it, at the moment where rather than complex discussions about difficult topics, nuanced topics, we tend to just, you know, we hear a lot of name calling. It's much easier to say, oh, well, you're just too hard line than it is to engage with um, what's really going on. So here's my thought on this as I read that question. How do we deal with this thought, this this parameter of being seen as too hard line? Where I got to in my thinking was simply, I have never really accepted the category. I've always, I've always only ever seen my sort of expression of the Catholic faith and and its relationship with Catholic education in terms of the concept of orthodoxy. I've, from day one, always seen myself as, and I don't mean this in a, in a flippant way, but I, I've always. Not, I've always seen myself as reliant upon the great wisdom of the incredible men and women and of the Holy Spirit working throughout the church throughout the centuries. Not discounting, of course, all the sin and brokenness that has followed the church in its temporal journey, in its journey through time, where it's made up of people like you and me who are you know, what Christopher West used to call angels. We're angels. We're part angel, part animal. So I used to say to teachers that if you look at the church, you've kind of got to 
do a bit of a mental gymnastics and always realize there's sort of two churches. There's the church that is guided throughout history by the Holy Spirit. It is an infallible church. It is the bride of Christ. It is a supernatural entity. And it, it, it just, the, the, you know, Jesus promised he would send the advocate, he would send the counselor, he would never leave us, he would be with us till the end of the age. So we know that his presence is in the church. But at the same time, there is a church made up of humans. And some of these humans, including me <laughs> and you, are going to at times be imperfect. The first pope, Peter, was imperfect. He was reactive and fearful and cowardly and did all sorts of crazy stuff, right? So Paul had to oppose him to his face. So there's a reality here that the church is both, it's a perfect church made up of imperfect people. So coming back to my point, I've always just trusted in orthodoxy. I, I've never had a th an issue with the concept of being hard line because I just always went, well, what does the church teach? What does she teach? What does the apostolic faith say? So I don't have to worry too much about being hard line because I don't ever try and present my own line. I, I've only ever presented what has been handed down through the magisterium. That's, that's kind of all I've ever done. Um, I've always tried to find creative ways to share it, passionate ways to share it, but I've never had to worry myself about this concept of do I think I'm too hard line? I'm just more kind of like, well, what's what's the church teach? What does it mean? What is the orthodox position? What what do we actually, you know, if you're passionate about something like theology of the body, it's not a question of, you know, well, I've got this new hardline doctrine and I'm going to just inflict it on children. It's more like, well, theology of the body is just a beautiful expression of orthodoxy. That's all it is. It's it's a well, it's not all it is, but it's a it's a beautiful expression of orthodoxy. It's a beautiful expression of christ's heart for his bride the church and his love for every human person and how we mirror in our own bodies lives and relationships the mysterious well the great mysterion taking place in the heart of the trinity the perichoresis the dance of love so theology of the body isn't hard line I, I imagine somebody could try and make it that but it's just orthodox the real presence is just orthodoxy the need to attend confession isn't about some Freudian archetype of terrorizing children with thoughts of sin. It's about the mercy and love of Christ. It's just orthodoxy because Christ forgave sins and he healed people. And that's what that sacrament does. So it's just for me, it's just orthodoxy. It's like, you know, you look at Chesterton's great book, which he happened to call orthodoxy, right? It's just this, this awareness that this faith has been passed on to us. And, you know, what did, uh, I don't know whether this is attributed to Augustine or C.S. Lewis, but, you know, the idea that truth doesn't need to defend itself, you just let it, it's like a lion, you just let it go and it'll defend itself just fine. So what we need to do is gently, uh, intelligently, with wisdom and patience and kindness, present the faith, all of it, in its fullness, consistently, even the hard parts. Because even the hard parts that people don't like are really ways of increasing or inviting people to deeper relationships of love with themselves with each other with christ you know i think recently of the big furor in san francisco with uh, archbishop cordelione who you know formally sanctioned and wrote to um you know the speaker of the of the u.s house of reps nancy pelosi because you know for years she'd been 
rubbing the nose of the church in her pro-abortion stance, right? And so he finally writes to her and he makes the point, which, you know, good bishops had been trying to make for a very, very, very long time, that formally refusing, you know, communion to public Catholics who have a public role, who are deeply acting in a way that's deeply confusing and inimical to the faith and causing scandal is not, to use the word we're talking about today, it's not hard line. It's not. I mean, that's what you'll read in, in the Washington Post, right? That's what you're going to read in the New York Times. That's what you're going to read in, in most mainstream media outlets is that look at this hard line bishop. He's not being hard line because anybody who knows this stuff knows that to if somebody is receiving the Eucharist while simultaneously causing public scandal, they're placing themselves at risk. So it's not a hard line stance from a bishop. It's ultimately, obviously, an act of love. You're act- actively saying to somebody, look, what you're doing isn't good for you. It's not good for you spiritually. It's not good for you eternally. I love you enough as your bishop to present to you the orthodox faith, to say that, you know, this is the faith of the apostles, that that the body and blood of Christ is so important, so precious, that we all need to be coming to that sacrament in a good place. So can you see that again? Like the accusation is, look at how hardline it is, but it's just orthodoxy, and it's just a loving response to somebody who's placing themselves at risk. So to all of you out there who are passionate about your Catholic faith and sometimes feel isolated and alone and like you're the odd one out, just do orthodoxy. Do it gently and patiently and kindly and stay close to the church. St. John of the Cross often beautifully referred to to the church as the great mother who keeps the children together on the journey. Always liked that. You know, all the criticisms of the church in, you know, in modernity and post-modernity, but she's the great mother that keeps the children together on the journey. I mean, Karen and I have been married almost 22 years, and and we were talking the other day, like, we've just been blessed that our faith and the practice of our faith and the support of our faith and the support of many beautiful friends of faith and the support of great priests and the support of the sacraments have held us together as a couple, and kept us on the journey so i love my faith i love my catholic faith i love talking about it (laughs) hence this podcast i love encouraging all those teachers out there who feel that um you know that that it's it's a dry time it's a hard time that it's difficult to stand up and to say i love my faith i want to share it with people i want young people to know it i want to help them with the hard teachings i want to give them i want to i want to communicate it with compassion so that they can live full flourishing human lives and pursue their identity in the image of christ all right there's a lot there today please uh, if you're on the youtube version leave something in the comments let me know what you think if um if i have grossly offended you please send me an email jonathan at onecatholicteacher.com if you think this could be helpful to other colleagues please would you send this on would you grab these links and share them with people and of course make sure you've subscribed i'm going to be back tomorrow i'm going to be working very soon on a new series that i want to uh, bring to all of you on the the um on inner peace from the work of Jacques Philippe and um, Father Pierre de Cossord, because I think that this need for peace in an era of burnout and exhaustion is important. So stay tuned. I'm going to do some really good stuff 
God willing, in the next uh, few days and weeks on this beautiful journey of inner peace that we are called to through the Holy Spirit. God bless you, everybody. I hope this has been useful. Do not worry. Do not fret about being hardline. Um, do not fret and worry about being misunderstood. Let's just be sensible. Let's just be gentle. Let's be wise. Let's be orthodox. Let's bring the faith in all its fullness and challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Catholic Teacher Daily Message, and I'll have another one for you tomorrow.